Thank y'all. I love sitting on the front row because I get to sing and nobody can hear me. <laughs> Man, I love just spelling it out. And before you think that's like just me trying to be modest, um, Friday night, one of the things the Smiths love to do is roll down the windows and blare the music up loud and sing as loud as we can. And uh, so that's one of the things I love to do. And, and all four of us will get in the car and, and do that. And we were singing, This is Amazing Grace, Friday night on our way back home, singing This is Amazing Grace, loud singing. And then our, our, my three-year-old just starts yelling, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm cold. Dad, you sound bad, you sound bad. So I just, it's a good thing. I like sitting on the front. So we can sing it out. Man, y'all sound good. I loved it. Thank you very, very much. Well, we're in the second week of a series on, on we're walking through the book of Jonah. And uh, I want to I pray here in just a second before we jump in uh, that God would speak to us. I, I told the, uh, the last hour at the, end of, at the end of the service, I just want to kind of put this out there before. We don't, we don't do a traditional altar call or invitation. And, and the reason that we don't do that is because um, it, it gives us the impression that there's only a few people that have to do business with God, that have to respond to God. Um, on some level, it's, it's kind of like a tryout for the person speaking. Like, yeah, he didn't do a good job. Nobody came forward. And so because of those different things, uh, we, don't, we don't do an altar call or, or an invitation. But here's, here's what I told the last hour. And before we jump into the text this morning, what I want to kind of encourage with you. When, when God's Word is read by you individually, uh, when you listen to a podcast on definitely on Sunday mornings, um, as we're worshiping corporately, every time God's Word is spoken to us, it's, it's a challenge for us to do business with Him. To be molded by His Word a little bit more into His image. Every single person in here, if you know Christ, you are, 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 are challenged by his word, when it is spoken, when it's read, when it's taught. And so this morning, we're, we're not going to do an altar call or, or an invitation. I don't, I don't even kind of give this, this PSA uh, every, every every week. But every once in a while, I just want to remind you, if you know Christ this morning, as God's word is spoken, I it, it's, it's, it's a challenge to us to be transformed by it. Not by me, not by my words, but by the word that, that God has given to us. And then to be changed as we walk out the doors. And this morning is no different. You know Christ, every single one of us, myself included, should be challenged, changed by it. A little bit more into the image of Christ. And as, we, as we leave this place. So with that kind of in mind, I want to pray that God would indeed speak to us, challenge us, change us. A little bit more into His image this morning as we look at His Word. So let's pray. Father, this morning as we... Uh, Look at your word, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us. That you would challenge us. And you would change us. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts as we hear your word. And... and Idols that we have in our hearts would be knocked down. And Lord, your throne would reign supreme in us. Lord, use the, the, the story of Jonah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I really believe he has something to speak to us this morning as we look at his word. Last week we were uh, 
kicking off the series by looking at chapter 1 of Jonah. And if you remember the story, God came to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He was a, uh, an upright man. He was a leading man. I mean, he was Billy Graham of, of Israel. All right? I mean, this was a well-known man, a leading uh, uh, spiritual advisor, a leading spiritual prophet, preacher. I mean, he was well-known in the nation of Israel. And people looked up to him. He was a man of influence. He was moral. And God came to Jonah and said, Hey, I want you to go to the Ninevites, and I want you to proclaim the gospel to them. I want you to tell them that I love them. I want you to tell them that they have to change from their wicked ways, or I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah, after receiving the word of of the Lord, after getting this word that he was to go to Nineveh, said no to God. God on a boat in Joppa and headed in the opposite direction from Nineveh. He headed towards Tarshish. While he was headed towards Tarshish, he was on a, on a boat, and uh, a, a storm came and hit that boat. And they tried to row, and it got worse. And they, they cast lots, and they found out that Jonah was the reason that, that this storm had hit. They, Jonah said, I want you to just take me. I want you to throw me overboard. They said, no, we can't do that. Let's just row harder. They rowed harder, but they got nowhere. Finally, they picked up Jonah and they threw him overboard. And as soon as he hit the water, we saw the the storm stopped, ceased. And as we ended last week, we we ended in verse 17 of chapter 1, the whale or the big fish, depending on what you think, um, swallowed up Jonah. If you remember last week, I said, I said, a lot of people, especially in secular <coughs> circles, have a hard time believing this story. I actually believe in a, that it's a historical story, that it actually happened. But historically, I mean, uh, secularly, a lot of people don't uh, have a hard time believing that that happened. And I said, if that's you, um, I, I think that, that uh, I would I challenge you to just accept, accept it as historic, the historicity of it. I accept that because I think there's things that are deeper than that that, that God wants to teach us. There are truths that I, I don't want this story and, and this, this um, internal uh, debate in your mind as to the historicity of it. I don't want that internal debate to get in the way of, of the deeper things, the additional things that God wants to teach us in this story. I believe that, that it actually happened. But... but even if you're not there, uh, there are other things, there are deeper things that God wants to teach us. I believe in the middle of it. I was having a conversation with some friends this week. We were over at their house, and uh, they, they said, hey, I didn't realize there was this debate in, in circular circles, um, or secular circles. I didn't realize that there was this debate about as to the historicity of it, if, if it really happened or not. The only thing we debate about in our house, we, we just accepted that it's true. We just debated whether it's a big fish or a whale. And maybe that's you. I mean, you're like, hey, I'm all, I'm all in. I, I mean, I know that it's true. I'm not, I have no doubt about that. I just want to know if it's a big fish or a whale. I can't help you there. The Bible says a big fish. Um, but I don't, know, I don't know what that means exactly. But when we left the story, he had just been swallowed in chapter 1. Verse 17. And so that's where we're actually going to pick up the story this week. And then we're going to work our way through chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. 
If you don't, it'll be on the, the screen, and that will, that, will, that will help you. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what's going on. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So, if you remember last week we said God appointed this fish. I mean, this is a miracle. God appointed the fish to go and swallow Jonah. Now, the natural question, whether you believe that this story is true, that the, you're in my you're in my camp, you think this actually happened, or if you're still debating it, the, the natural question is, why? I mean, why would God do this? Why would God send a big fish to swallow Jonah? And in answering that question, we bump up against a truth. A truth that's important for all of us that Jonah learned at this moment. It's a truth. If you, if you like to write notes down, I would probably write this down. Here's what Jonah discovers at this point. As soon as the, the, the big fish swallows him, here is what Jonah discovers. That God is abundant in his grace. But God is thorough in his discipline. God is abundant in his grace. Grace, but God is thorough in his discipline. If you remember, it's not to pay us back for our sin, but to bring us back from our sin. It's not to pay us back, it's to, to woo us back, to, to bring us back. God is abundant in his grace, and we're going to see this unfold throughout the book. God is abundant in his grace, but God is thorough in his discipline. This is not meanness. This is not God pointing his finger at Jonah. This is God's mercy on Jonah. God disciplines those that he loves. I want to to say this very, very carefully. If you know Christ and you have known him for any length of time, one of the ways that God, one of the evidences that you know Christ Let's put it that way. One of the evidences that you know Christ is that He disciplines you when you sin. If you are walking and you know you have sinned and God has has disciplined you, He is disciplining you and it's evidence that you are one of His children. He disciplines those that He loves, He says in the Scripture. And His Word is clear with that. But He doesn't do it to get back at you. He does it to woo you back, to bring you back. He takes you through the the refiner's fire to bring you back. God is abundant in his grace, but he is thorough in his discipline. Verse 17, the end of it. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This would have been an awful experience. Um, He would have, Jonah, when he was in the belly of this fish, he would not have been able to move very much. I mean, he is... He couldn't move around the the, the belly of the well very much. He would have been confined to one area. And I did some research, and according to the research that that I found, um, the temperature in the belly of the well would have been, or the belly of the fish, would have been somewhere between 108 degrees and 115 degrees Fahrenheit. It would have smelled undoubtedly like an outhouse at a state fair. For three days... And three nights. This was an awful, awful experience. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. 
from the belly of the fish. Notice that Jonah prayed after he had been in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah, his heart was hard. And he prayed. I mean, there's no surprise there, right? I mean, when you hopefully you've never been in the belly of a fish, but if I were there, uh, my default would have been, okay, I, I got to call out to God. I got to pray. But Jonah, it took him three days and three nights. This was a very, very difficult assignment for Jonah. I mean, after all, remember, the Ninevites, they were a brutal, brutal people. I mean, they boasted about their brutality. They wanted people. They wrote it down in their history books. They wanted people to know that came behind them. When you mess with Nineveh, bad things happen to you. And it is, it's not a stretch, if you remember from last week, it is not a stretch to imagine that some of Jonah's very friends, uh, they, 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 they uh, suffered at the hands of the Ninevites. I mean, this was a brutal people. And when Jonah was, was told to go and to talk to them, go and to proclaim the good news to them, this was a very, very difficult assignment. This was, I put in my notes, this was the Jew being asked to go to Berlin in 1942 and preach the love and forgiveness of God. This was a difficult command. And Jonah, this upright, moral prophet, on the outside, he had everything together. I mean, he was a, a moral man. He was an obedient man. He had great influence. He was a spiritual man. On the outside, he checked all the boxes. But when God got to the core of who Jonah was, where his true identity was, Jonah was disobedient and said no. Jonah's identity, is, 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 is the core of who he was, was in being an Israelite man, being a Jewish man. I mean, he, his identity, he wanted to be known as a leader among the Israelites. And so while Jonah checked off every box in his spirituality, in, in, in his morality, in his leadership as a, as a, uh, 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 from a spiritual perspective, I mean, he checked all the boxes off. When, it, when God challenged the core of who he was, when God challenged his identity, Jonah said no. You know, there's some people that are in here that are like that. On the outside, you've got it all together. I mean, you're spiritual, you're good, you, you help in the community, you show up to church each week. I mean, from the outside, you check all the boxes off. I mean, you're a moral person. you got it all together on the outside. But there's the one area of your life your identity, where do, you, where do you get your worth? That if God were to challenge that, you'd say no. Can't do it. I mean, I, don't, don't, don't push me to the point that it costs me something. I, I, I've got this spiritual game figured out. Everybody around me thinks I've got it all together. Everybody around me thinks I'm, I'm a moral, I'm a spiritual, I'm an upright person. But God, I, don't, don't touch that area. For example, for some of you, it's your kids. God, you can have my life. 
You can do whatever you want. You can, my, my, my husband, my wife's life, we'll go wherever you lead us. We'll do whatever it is that you want us to do. But God, keep your hands off of my kids. My job, hey, that's no problem. You can have my job, you can take my job away. But keep your hands off of my kids. I'll never forget, I was in seminary. I, I didn't even have kids yet. And one of my professors, Dr. Ross, he, uh, he, his son, uh, they only had one child. They had a, he and his wife, Dr. Ross and his wife, they had a hard time um, uh, with infertility, years and years of not being able to have kids. And finally, miscarriages, just one right after the other. I mean, it was a very difficult uh, stage of life from, based on his testimony. And finally, in God's grace, they, they, they were able to, to have a child, a son. And he grew up, and by the time I got to seminary, his son was, was finishing up college. So he's a few years behind me. He was, he was finishing up college, and he came home, and he said, Hey, Mom and Dad, I think I'm supposed to go for two years on the mission field. I'm supposed to go to Africa, Sudan, very difficult area of the world, dangerous area of the world. And, and he, had, he had done that. That kind of conversation had taken place while I was in seminary. And Dr. Ross, in a moment of vulnerability, said, Guys, I, I need you, you to pray for me. I'm having a hard time with this. And he told us the story, shared with us the story of, of their infertility. He, he shared with us the story of their years of heartache. And then he, he shared with us the, the story of how um, uh, excited they were when they found out they were going to have a young boy. They were going to have a baby boy. And he said, and this is a difficult thing. I mean, he, he believes that God is leading to him to a very dangerous part of the world. And you have to understand why that's so hard for us. I mean, if something happens to our, our only son, our only child, Christmas for myself and my wife is going to be very, very fast. I'm going to show up. I'm going to have a, a one uh, gift. I'm going to give it to her. She's going to unwrap it. And then we're going to spend the rest of Christmas looking at each other with a huge hole in our heart. You have to understand, this is a difficult thing for us. Because if, if, if something happens to our, own, our only son, there is no wedding. There are no grandbabies. I mean, he is the only one that God has given us. And he is being called to one of the most dangerous places on earth. This is a difficult, difficult thing. Not only to just give our permission, but to grant our blessing. I'll never forget, he closed it by saying this. But... He must go. As a dad, I'm not sure I'm there. For some of you, it's your job. I mean, you, you're, you're like Jonah, your identity is in something other than Christ, it's in something other than God. It, it, maybe it's your job, or maybe it's money. You find your security in your money. Your, your, your unwillingness to be generous with it, because that's where your security comes from. Uh, at some point, all of us in our sin nature, all of us set up idols where, where, our, where our identity is in something other than Christ. Our, the core of who we are, where we find our, our, our worth, is in something other than Christ. Whatever that is, is, is an idol in your heart. And that is what drove, that idol in, in Jonah's heart is what drove uh, Jonah away from God. It's what drove Jonah to disobey God. 
And that is what will drive you and I when God challenges the very core of who we are, where we find our worth, where we find our identity, when God challenges that, whatever it may be. <coughs> when he challenges that, if we disobey, that's when we find out, just as Jonah found out, God is abundant in his grace, but he is thorough, thorough in his discipline. Jonah is in the belly of the whale three days because of his disobedience. And he finally cries out. He finally prays. And here's what he said in verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And isn't that true? I mean, don't we call out to the Lord? I mean, many people, they haven't prayed in years. But in their distress, they cry out to the Lord. And here's what... Here's what, what happens. I put in my notes this. I, I, I love this. It, it says this. Circumstantial brokenness, coming to the end of ourselves, overpowers our intellect, overpowers our resistance, even our theology. And we call out to the Lord in our brokenness. You haven't prayed for years, but in your brokenness, uh, you, you've set up predetermined ideas of who God is. But in your brokenness, all of that falls down in the middle of your discipline. All of that falls down, and you just cry out to the Lord. And here's the amazing thing. Verse 2 goes on to say, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. God listens to the desperate cry for help from desperate people who are in desperate circumstances of their own creation. That is amazing. I mean, let, let me say that again. God listens to the desperate cry for help from desperate people who are in desperate circumstances of their own creation. You messed it up yourself. You have made a disaster of it yourself. And yet, in the middle of that, you cry out to God. And the Bible tells us that He hears us. He answers our cry of our own making. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah acknowledged, look, I am here because of you. You have placed me in the storm. You are the one that's behind the storm. I'm in the belly of this fish because you are the one who is disciplining me. I am reminded, Jonah says again, that you are not paying me back, but you are wooing me back. You are bringing me back because of my disobedience. You are the one who is behind this misery that I find myself in. Because I have disobeyed, in your love for me, you have disciplined me, Jonah says. Then, verse 4, I said, I am driven away from your sight. Did Jonah feel like he'd been forgotten by God? Absolutely. Was he? No. In the middle of our discipline, many times like Jonah, it'll feel like God has forgotten us. That he has abandoned us. That he is, is he's just trying to get back at us. But I pray you would remember this truth in the middle of your discipline. He loves those he disciplines. And his, uh, his discipline is thorough. But as we're going to find out in a few minutes, his, his grace is abundant. It stretches even further. Yet I shall look... Yet shall, yet I shall, easy for me to say, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Verse 5, 
The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. I am here because of you. You're behind the storm. But the only reason that I'm still alive, the only reason that I'm still here is because you, God, have spared my life. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. And then verse 8, it's kind of the, the climax. It's the, it's, it's the point of his, of his repentance. It, it's where it, it, there's, there's a change in his prayer, starting in verse 8 through verse 9. Here's what he says. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake, they forfeit, they do not obtain, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. So Jonah found his identity as an Israelite, as an Israelite man, as a spiritual man, as a man of influence, as a, as a man of, of moral uh, standing. That's where he found his, his, um, his identity. That's where he found his worth. That was the core of who he was. And God came and he challenged that when he asked him to go talk to the Ninevites. And Jonah said no, and he began to run. He ran away. He ran away because his, his identity, the core of who he was, was challenged. And right here in verse 8, Jonah comes to the realization that, that um, his, his identity, where he found his worth, left him wanting. Here's what I mean. He thought that everything in life was, was, um, uh, uh, was in being an Israelite man. He thought all of his worth, all, all, all of uh, his, his um, um, identity, I mean, everything about him, he thought it was wrapped up in being an Israelite leader. And in verse 8, he realizes that being an Israelite leader will never satisfy the longing of his heart, the longing of his soul. He realized that that would always leave him wanting. He would never have satisfaction. He would never be completely and totally satisfied in his heart and in his soul. He would always be left wanting if his identity was in being an Israelite man. He comes to that realization in the belly of the fish in verse 8. Now before we go, that's weird. We do the same thing. Let me give you an example. There are only a handful of people in the world that get to the pinnacle of their said profession. Whatever profession you're in, there's only a handful of people that get to the pinnacle of that. Of that profession. For example, there's only a handful of, of actresses and actresses, actors and actresses, excuse me, that make millions and millions of dollars in, in their videos or in their movies. There are a lot more actors and actresses that pay the bills by waiting tables than there are, you know, living in mansions. There's only a handful of those actors and actresses. And they have spent their entire life pursuing this dream to make millions and millions of dollars making movies. And when they finally arrive, what is the story that we hear on repeat? That they are self-destructive. I mean, we, we, we hear the story on the, on the news every night. We read it in every magazine. 
When you're standing there at the supermarket, you see story after story of these handful of people that finally pursued and reached the pinnacle of their perfection. They are wealthy beyond our imagination. And they are a wreck. Why? Because they thought they would be satisfied when they reached the top. And they finally arrived. And they were left wanting. If you remember a few months ago, if you were here, I showed a video from Tom Brady. He's the, he's the quarterback for the Patriots. Won Super Bowls, MVPs, and what it was his testimony. In a moment of vulnerability, what did he say? He said, there's got to be more to life than this. There has to be. There's got to be more than this. I, got, I thought I pursued this all of my life. And I thought when I finally made it here, I would be satisfied. The longing of my soul would be satisfied. And he says, I finally arrived and there's got to be more. I'm not satisfied. So it is in business, in education, whatever your said, even in ministry, whatever our said profession is, we spend our year, our, our, our lifetime pursuing it. And for the handful of people that finally get there, they, they arrive at the pinnacle of their profession. And they get there and they are self-destructive because they finally arrive and it does not satisfy them the way they thought it would in their pursuit of it. Jonah was no different. He said, I placed my identity in being an Israelite leader. I placed my identity in having influence. And when you challenged it, I said no, and I've realized it would never fulfill the longing of my heart, the longing of my soul. This morning, if you have an idol on your heart, in your heart, and it's anything other than Christ, it will not satisfy. I tell, I tell people in premarital counsel, if, if you're marrying this person and you think they're going to complete you, it's never going to happen. I mean, goodness gracious. Complete you? Come on. <laughs> if you think, if you've bought that life, you think you're going to be satisfied and that person's going to be the one that does it, you have got something else coming. They are not that good and neither are you. If your identity, if you think your wholeness is going to come in anything other than in Christ, when you find, if you are one of the lucky ones to get to the top of your said profession, you will arrive there and you will be sorely disappointed because it will not satisfy. It can't. And Jonah found that out as the leading prophet in the nation. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I had another professor in seminary who said this is the, the, the most important verse in, in all of the Bible. This sums up all of Jesus' ministry in one sentence. Everything that Jesus came, everything he came to do, everything that he was about, everything that he said is summed up in this one sentence. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah saying, I can find satisfaction. I can find the longing of my soul. Uh, can, can, can find rest when I understand that my salvation belongs to the Lord. 
when I can find, or when I, when I understand that my salvation is because of God's grace. Here's what I put in my, in my notes. Salvation belongs to the Lord is, is, a, is a statement of God's gift of grace, which is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. An undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Let me see if I can illustrate that as we close this out. Suppose you're a parent of a rebellious teenager. I mean, you say left, he goes right. You say up, he goes down. You know, I mean, just rebellious in every way. You say be home, he goes out. I mean, everything you say, he does the opposite. Or she does the opposite. But because they are still a teenager, because they still live in your house, you have an obligation to take care of them. So if they have, if they have a need, if they come up with a need, you have to meet that need. It's an undeserved gift, but parent, because of, of their, 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 their status as a teenager, legally you are obligated to meet their need. So that's an undeserved gift from an obligated giver. On the flip side, suppose your home group gathers up a little bit of money from everybody and you buy your home group leader a small gift. Just appreciation for what they do. How they lead your home group. How they cultivate relationships. How they, how they share God's word. How they challenge you. How they bring to life what was taught on Sunday morning. Suppose y'all, you do that. Suddenly you have a deserved gift, but you're an unobligated giver, right? You don't have to do that. We don't, we don't obligate. There's no obligation to give your home group a leader, but they deserve it. I mean, they do a lot of good things for your group. So on one hand, you have an unobligated giver, but you have a, a person who, who deserves the gift. On the other hand, you have a, an unobligated, or you have an undeserved gift from an obligated giver. But if you go a little bit further... Let me see if I can illustrate an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Suppose you have an absolute terror for a neighbor. If you do, don't don't raise your hand. But suppose you have a a terror for a neighbor. I mean, they are loud, they're obnoxious, they're they're up at all hours of the night, they keep your baby up. I mean, they're just a nightmare to live next to. And you call the police on them. The police goes and says, hey, your neighbor called, they said you're being loud. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As soon as the police officer leaves, they get out their speakers, they point them directly at your house, and they turn it up as loud as they can. I mean, they are a nightmare to live next to. In addition to that, every time your child even walks across their front yard, they call the police on you. I mean, they are a nightmare. Well, you find out that your neighbor doesn't have any family close. And they have, they come down with a very, um, they, they come down with a sickness that is very, they're just very, very sick. I mean, it's a terminal thing. That's the word I'm trying to think of. It's not a college word. Something simple. Terminal. <laughs> they have a terminal illness. I mean, they've been, they have been a terrible neighbor for years. And years and years, and they come down with a terminal illness. They don't have any family nearby. They, they don't have anybody to turn to. And so you go over and you take care of your neighbor who is terminally ill. That is the picture of an unobligated giver to an undeserved recipient. Jonah gets to verse 9, and he says, Salvation 
belongs to the Lord and only to the Lord. And in doing those, as he says that, here is what he is saying. I am an undeserved person. And God is an unobligated giver. And he gives me grace. I am an undeserved and I am receiving an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Grace has been given from God and he is not obligated to do it. And one, just a minute way I have illustrated what has sunk into Jonah's heart when he says salvation belongs to the Lord. And he closes it out. This will kind of set us up for next week. The Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, this morning we have idols in our hearts. And some, some of us are in the middle of discipline because of it. We've looked for our work. We've looked for our, our, our identity in something other than you. And when you challenged it, we have sinned. We have disobeyed. Maybe some of us are in the middle of this, of this truth that you are abundant in your grace, but man, you are thorough in your discipline. Lord, I pray we would set this truth on the throne of our hearts and we would remove any idols that we have and place you rightly at the center of who we are. Lord, our identity would be found in you. So when you say go, whoever it is, whatever it is, we would say yes. When you say stop, we would be able to say stop to whatever it is. Because you are the only one who satisfies the longing of our heart the longing of our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.